Hello and welcome to the Network Collective Community Roundtable. As the networking world continues to embrace automation and orchestration, some of the terms used to explain this new way of doing things remain a little fuzzy. In today's episode, we're going to look specifically at infrastructure as code. And by the end, we hope to define a bit about what it is, as well as what it is not, provide some relevant examples of it in action, and clear up as much confusion as possible about what it means to network engineers. Joining me today for the conversation is Ken Salenza and Damien Garros. I think I said your name right. Is that right, Damien Garros? That's that's perfect. Awesome. So both of you guys are from Network to Code. I mean, this is a company that helps customers do exactly what we're about to talk about uh, every day. So Ken, Damien, thanks for coming on the show. I think I want to start at the beginning. I mean, where I guess that's a good place to start. That's a stupid thing to say. We always start at the beginning. So how did this come to be? I mean, so we we hear about. We hear about DevOps and we hear about automation and orchestration, but specifically infrastructure as code. Like, how did this come about and why should a networker care? Um, okay, let me take a crack at it. It's, not a, it's never easy to put a definition on those broad, you know, definition. But, of uh, course. Um, from my experience, infrastructure as code really started first in the, in the server world. And it was about how we will manage the configurations of, you know, a fleet of servers. And if you look back in the days, you know, we used to have like basically the servers on uh, individual uh, servers and people were doing them manually. And then there's a generation of tools that help that started around, I think it was 2004 uh, with, you know, the Puppet and uh, those kind of tools that really help, you know, deploying the same configuration in a consistent way. And from there, people started to keep track of those configurations in uh, version control. I think, you know, 2004 is actually by the time also where we really saw uh, Git becoming the really uh, dominant version control system and Git uh, introduced um, also all those new workflow of collaborations around how can people actually collaborate and discuss the change that needs to happen on a set of files. So historically, Git has been really used by developers to keep track of code, but then people saw that it will be a really good tool also to keep track of configuration files and, and the, the tooling that will be you know used around those configuration files. So from my experience, that's really why now we're talking about infrastructure as code is that we started using to manage our infrastructure, meaning all, mostly the configuration files, a lot of the tools that we were using on the server world. And then Git, you know, there's uh, so Git is, is a version control. There's tools like GitHub and GitLab that that broad that bring those those collaboration uh, aspects like the pull request and the issue and discussion. But what we saw over the years is there's also all this uh, uh, ecosystem that started to build around Git, around for example testing. You know, the way uh, a Git is built, like there's this idea that we can have a change that is proposed. And while this change, you know, is discussed and reviewed, we can have a set of tests that will be done uh, on all those those changes, even before they get approved and deployed. So uh, they also bring this uh, this safe environment um, in in all this uh, you know configuration management. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add to that was, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of it's you know it's right in name infrastructure as code and right and it's just so it's all the the. The tooling and the methods and, and the way that code was managed and all the, the native integrations that give you, like like Damien was talking about, like version control, just automatically gives you a lot of capabilities that don't seem like much, but, but really do a lot. Like 
the, the idea of a pull request of saying, this is what I intend to do and we need to review it before we, we're actually going to commit it. And saying, okay, this is what I intend to do and before I before I allow anyone to do it, it's going to run through a set of tests. And you know, why not do that with your data? And um, I think that's one of the, the, the biggest thing is, is, is you know, uh, infrastructure code is uh, intrinsically um, uh, very tightly integrated or it essentially is, you know, your, your data, right? So it's representing your infrastructure in a uh, structured data format. Um, but yeah, you know, and uh, there's a, a lot of things that come up with, you know, what, what version control gives you and, you know, uh, potentially storing data in different methods. Um, but realistically, the, the entire, you know, I would say spirit of it is um, managing uh, the changes of your data, not like, raw vendor syntax configuration, but as kind of structured data. Well, and I think, you know, so as I understand it, I'm definitely the least expert person on this panel. So if there's any question about who has experience around this, it's not me. But my understanding is that the, the idea behind this was both you know, managing fleet. So the idea is being able to do wide scale management, but that doesn't apply to you know a lot of people. What I think is interesting, though, is repeatability and uh, consistency. I think one of the problems we found, even in small shops, is this idea that if you had people, and we'll go back to the, the origins where we're talking about building servers, you had four different people on a sysadmin team who were building servers, and each one had their own little nuance about how they went about it. So when it came to troubleshooting, they weren't 100% the same. The things that could have been the same were not always the same. And you had all these little, like, little nuance variations between system to system, which made it harder to troubleshoot, harder to understand. Not pe People didn't really fully understand what was going on inside the systems themselves. So the idea is by becoming more, I'm going to use the word here, but like declarative and using consistent like blocks, of of configuration we can make that consistent and then when you apply the tests the idea is we can validate against the idea that this is our standard so i'm going to use a very simple you know idea here and i just want to make sure that i'm on the right page is that you know if it's your policy that every interface has a description you can you can build a test against your infrastructure because it's now just available to you essentially in, you know, small little text files, code, whatever, Git, you know, wherever you're storing that information, you can, you can go against that and validate that every port actually has a description. And if it doesn't, raise a red flag. Don't allow that push. Don't allow this thing to happen because, you know, someone hasn't done what is the standard, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly. Um, and what you're talking about there is, you know, specifically around schema validation, right? So you could say, uh, it's probably the first test you, you should be uh, employing uh, against any uh, infrastructure as code uh, or any place that you're employing uh, infrastructure as code. A any testing, there's like a lot of, like what you're talking about is a lot of the tangential effects of infrastructure as code. So meaning that if I only have one set of parameters I can put in that I, you know, I've defined or someone's defined, and it's the only place I can put in code, it allows me to sit there and say automation can only happen from uh, uh, these sets of data points. It can't be someone messing around and saying, "Oh, I want to see what this option does on the vendor specific configuration." Right now, I only I like the only method is as things get applied on top of each other. As you say, uh, the templating system plus the the code that you put in the the data that you put in the infrastructure's code get combined. They result in a final configuration. As that happens, you you fundamentally know that there's nothing else you can do outside of that. So if you know that you're always deploying from infrastructure as code, there's no other way to uh, have configurations deployed from there. So that, that's just, it, it's integration with, with automation becomes crucial. The ability to view data 
uh, or to, to do analytics on the data that you put in as infrastructure code becomes uh, another tangential effect. I could sit there and say, how many ports uh, in a networking world, I could sit there and say, if I manage all my ports via infrastructure as code, I could say, how many ports uh, have our printer uh, ports or our user ports and so forth, right? Because I can view that data and, and build analytics on it as well. So I, I think we're talking about is testing and just the, the tangential effects uh, on it. I mean, that, that's an interesting point. The idea is all your data is then not going to be on the individual devices, right? And so, and I, I think there's a bit of abstraction here too, in the sense that, you know, by, by doing it via this method, we're no longer, you know, obviously there's going to be some sort of engine that has to translate this, you know, <laughs> whatever our intent is, however we're declaring it into an actual configuration file. But ultimately we can, we can take one level of abstraction and define everything consistently in some sort of standard-based model Right, and then let that translate into a device-specific configuration, meaning that there's also the ability then for uh, portability, uh, so long as you're not using features and things that aren't aren't portable. But the idea is, if we're going to use something that is like, hey, we're going to, you know, do this. But the idea is that because that data is all outside of the boxes, we no longer are writing a script that's going and screen scraping, you know, a hundred different boxes for a piece of information. We have all the information because we know how we built the config and we know that we can validate that the config is exactly what we said it should be. So because of that, we can use that as our, I mean, so we're here, I think we're going to talk about quite a bit in the show, source of truth for what is actually happening on our network, right? Pers per I mean, I will actually disagree a little bit with you. I, okay, I bring it personally on. think, you know, uh, a lot of the topics we're discussing are great. They are very complementary. Like they, they go very well with, you know, this infrastructure as code approach, but they're not technically part of it. Like for me, if you were to save your configuration as the final, you know, how they will be in a, in a Git repo and just deploy them as you were, you were saying, Jordan, you know, in a very uh, re repeatable way and consistent way, that will be infrastructure as code because you will get the benefit of, you know, I, I think there's, I, I, I've been, a, you know, I spent some time in us. What, what's really interesting, for example, about using Git is that you can keep track of every single changes on the file. And it's not about who is the last one who touched the file. You have every, you know, if you want to know exactly who changed these specific parameters, you can use Git and you say Git blame, and it will tell you exactly who and where uh, and when somebody changed this file. And just that, I think, you know, as, as you have a team that really start to collaborate and pushing a lot of changes is critical. For me, that's, that's the most important part. The data models, the validation and all that, technically it's more of the icing on top of the cake. Um, but uh, but no, it's super important topic. It's just I I wouldn't you know scare people away by saying you have to do all of that to really get the benefit of uh, infrastructure as good. And that's a really great point. Yeah, like this is a step a uh, step by step process. So I, I think that I think that we go immediately to the value, right? Like what what can I get out of this thing to to make it immediately valuable to me, or not immediately valuable to me? But how do I how do I like squeeze all the value out of doing a process like this? But you're right, just that one thing by moving to this model and knowing who changed what and when, and and putting some constraints around that is is immediate value without necessarily getting into tests and validation of information and extraction of information like it that there's immediate value right there yeah and i wanted to uh, get back to one point that you said Jordan, because i think it's super important and and that's something something you know even if you if you start with a very simple use case i was discussing is the is the deployment uh i think 
all this infrastructure as code has really evolved, you know, with those new tools, like those DevOps tools, like Puppet and Chef, and nowadays there's Terraform. And when you look at those tools, you know, they are uh, they have this notion of idempotent, like they you always deploy, and basically the idea is they, they don't really care about the state of the actual state of the system. It's just they deploy the configuration, and they ensure that the end state is what you want. And there's this idea that everything comes from the central place and, you know, you deploy. And so that's how you ensure that, uh, you know, you have consistency and things are the way you want. I mean, those tools are in more intelligent. They actually, you know, ensure that you ha you try to have the least disruptions when you deploy those configurations. But, but I think the deployment is super important because you don't care a lot about what was already there. And... What I see is, you know, in the network industry, uh, that's one of the challenges we have because a lot of our uh, devices out there, like if I, I go with, you know, the traditional iOS devices, for example, they make it very difficult to have this approach where you just deployed your final configuration and without disrupting the one that's already running. So, and, and if you don't have those kind of capabilities, that's definitely makes, you know, the deployment and the, the, the reproducible part of all these systems more, more challenging. Where I personally, I used to work for Juniper. I've done a lot of Juniper, uh, you know, automations over the year and, and Juniper has this ability. We can basically provide the full config and Juniper will seamlessly replace just the part that's changed and, you know, will not touch the, the remaining part. And, and that's been that's been amazing, you know, to do those kind of infrastructure as code because we can have like full configurations in Git and then we just deploy and replace everything every time. Uh, and, and we have like 100% consistency, 100% predictable. Um, so I, I think, you know, for me, those are, we start touching like the, how is the network industry and the network, you know, use cases specific in terms of infrastructure as code? But uh, I think it's a really important topic. This uh, these deployments, it's one of them. Yeah, one thing I want to just take a half a step back and just make sure that you know, from a taxonomy perspective, we kind of, you know, I'm not sure that you know some of these terms are just kind of ubiquitous. And and the the term idempotent declare, I heard, and I'll also talk about imperative here as well. So you know, when Damien's talking about idempotent, the the idea with idempotency is just I'm going to check the configuration state, and and if it's not the state I want it to be in, only then will I make a change. So it, it, it inherently is much more safer change, right? If I sit there like on a classic, you know, uh, a Cisco iOS configuration, I sit there and say, okay, if the trunk is VLANs, you know, 10 through 20, I can redeploy the configuration every time and know that. I'm only going to change it if it happens to be something different, right? It just makes it much more safer. And I'll just feel much more comfortable to rerun this process every time, right? So that's idempotent. Declarative is saying this is the end state. So, you know, for, for a given section or for a given uh, full configuration, you could sit there and say that everything needs to end up ex uh, exactly like this. And so I'll say for like the, the easiest example, usually to talk about like NTP servers, right? On, on you know, say traditional Cisco iOS configuration. Um, if I have three NTP servers and there's uh, four NTP servers, yes, I can ensure that the three that I want are there, but how do I remove that and what's that process? And the idea of declaring this is saying, this is the end state it's going to be. It's going to be these three end, three servers at the end. Don't worry about how you got to that point, just that you did get to that point. Put it into the final configuration in, in, in that state. An imperative configuration is, is basically what we've done, right? I'm going to piecemeal the steps and I'm going to sit there and say in that uh, NTP, I'm going to sit there and say, sorry, in that NTP scenario, I'm going to say, 
I'm going to add this server and remove these other two servers to get to the, the final three I want. So you define the steps that it takes to get to the, to the final the final state. Um, and then I'm going to take another full step back, and just because I, I want to uh, go back to what, what Damien said before about um, you know maybe getting a little sidetracked between what, what is infrastructure code. I think it brings up a good point um, that yes, you could you could tech, you could uh, if you had deployed your configurations, you know, by, you know, typing them in, but using Git and kind of like version control, you would get a, a lot of, uh, you would get, you would get some benefits from there. I, I would disagree a little bit in Cinder saying the true value for me comes in when I can con control a lot more of it in the testing. And this is, you know, kind of like the, the code part of it, right? This is, this is how code is managed. Now, not everyone puts tests in their code. Not every, you know, not everyone is following best practices in between, you know, how they syntactically uh, create it and so forth. But those are the pieces, right? Like code deals with structured data, right? So infrastructure as code, to me, I think by Damien's correct, in strict definition, it does not. Um, and I think, but I will also say that I think that the, the true benefits really come. Now in the crawl walk run of it, I, absolutely, I, I agree. And that's a great point. It's something I truly hadn't considered before, before you know, three minutes ago when, when Damien brought it up. Um, but I, I really think the benefits become as you start adding in those and you truly treat it like code, so meaning structured data, you know, with the Git and the version and who, who did what. The who did what is great and definitely important and part of the story, but the structured data actually, to me, is, is, is a large part of it. And that's why I'll say it's tightly integrated with source of truth, at least in, in my mind, in actuality, maybe not in actual strict definition. I think you're right in the context of networking because it's super hard to do infrastructure as code without having you know, complex structured data and all of that. Personally, I, I think it's actually where, you know, the networking industry branch a little bit from the server world. Because if you look at the configuration on the server world, I feel they are, they, they, they use configuration template, they use all of that, but I feel their inputs, their variables are much more simpler and are much more homogeneous across the different type of servers. Where in the network industry, I think we have a specific challenge, which is really how do we manage you know, unique set of IP addresses and cabling and all those very specific, what I call the device property for each device. And then, you know, it brings us a new challenge that we have to validate and we have way more complex data structure and, and we need to do more unique things per device and role of and topology. And then I think for us, you know, it makes a lot of sense to go deeper into this, this testing and validations. And um, I think he also brings, you know, a topic that Ken and I are discussing uh, quite often, which is, you know, how do we manage all those data? And, uh, and now people are starting to, to call that, you know, we need to put them in a source of truth. Uh, which is the reference where all those, you know, device properties they uh, are, and then, and then, I mean, I, I'm sure we can go on, but then, you know, th there's people that are starting to touch the challenge, like when you have so much data, is Git uh, now the right, you know, place to really put them? Uh, because if you have very, very complex and and you know, relational data, that that's become challenging at some point. Right. We um, have something that manages relational data very well but it doesn't fit you know super cleanly into this idea of of storing it and git and version control and all those other things right a database manages the relational data incredibly well but a database doesn't necessarily cleanly fit into this model does it that's the whole point that's yeah. that's actually uh that's actually a big issue uh i've been seeing uh, now over the years is the 
putting everything as Git, I think, you know, brings you all the things we discussed, you know, traceability, the ability to have multiple branches, keep track of the changes. You can have very reproducible environments. You can do the testing. It's awesome, but, you know, you're really missing this, this query engine that will let you, you know, navigate the data, consume the data uh, in, a, in a very efficient way. Um, and so, uh, if you put everything in a database, then you can keep your, your templates and a lot of your automations and your configuration files in, in Git, but then you're missing a lot of traceability. You're missing the, the, the ability to have a, a, a bulk of the changes that are in stage that can be reviewed. And then, you know, at some point they will be merged. Like, oh, this workflow that, that Git provide. And uh, I personally see that as a, as a, as a, a challenge that is yet to be solved. Like I, I'd love to see something that brings, you know, the best of both worlds. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, that, that doesn't exist today. Yeah, that's a, I, I think, you know, this is something very near and dear to, you know, I'd say Damien I's heart is that um, this idea of the benefit is, is kind of combining the benefits you get from a database and the benefits you get from a Git, like, or, you know, v proper version control. And, and really the pieces are, is, you know, kind of what Damien said, like the, the logging, you know, who did what, why, the peer review, and I'd say even the, the integrations with like CICD. I think at this point, you know, any Git service is really kind of tightly integrated with CICD. Um, but, you know, uh, so that's the, the, the stuff, that's the great part of, uh, uh, you know, the Git system. But if you look at a company, you know, and I, I think Damien brought a great point I, ha I hadn't considered until, until now. Is that I, I'm always coming from a network context, uh, not really from a server context, and that's just kind of good insight for me. Um, but from the perspective of, you know, some of our clients, let's say, have, you know, 60,000, 70,000 devices, and how do you put all that in Git in, in some kind of reasonable manner to sit there and say, Oh man, I have to look through, you know, where, where, what file, which devices, and which file, and which is it group files or host files, if you know, kind of use like Ansible terminology there, and it becomes very difficult. And how you build proper querying, you, you can do some analytics just because it's structured, you know, in, in theory, if, if you go the route I was talking about before, you can do some analytics because it is structured data, and you can do some things, but it's still not a complete picture. And so I think, you know, getting those two to merge together. Uh, those two technologies would, would be a, a great step forward for us, um, but I, I don't think we're there yet, and I don't really hear anyone else talking about it outside of uh, you know mostly people at, at Network to Code. I mean, I also I'm I'm kind of curious because Damien brought up a point here, and I will say that my intuition agrees with what you said, but I'm always afraid of my intuition when there's ignorance involved. So I don't, I'm don't not be. doing this. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm not doing this a lot, and I'm not doing that definitely on the server side. But it does feel like doing this in the network feels complicated to me. So, and I, I think this is a barrier to a lot of people when they look at this. Is like, how do we define all these variables? We've done this. We've built these environments over over years and years and years uh, uh, through a very manual process. How do we bring the logic that we've brought into that into infrastructure as a code and still be able to achieve the same type of results? And I, I think that when I when I start looking at what that means from putting it into structured data or into Git or into whatever, you know, like that becomes a, a bit of a daunting problem because there is so much variability between functions in the network. Do you think that this is something that tools help solve or is this something that is just one of the challenges? I'll, I'll let Damien answer it, but just only one thing I want to mention is that I think there's a, a harder cultural shift than there are there is a technology shift. But anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to Damien. Wow, to, you're just going to gonna drop that bomb and not follow well, no, up on no. that? <laughs> 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 I don't disagree so, with you. I think that, I think that people... I, uh, 
I don't know. You're fundamentally telling people who've done something for decades or decades or years or whatnot and, and say, you know how you log into the device and you 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 push something? No, you cannot log into the device anymore. You have to change that context. And this is just going to all deploy magically. And what you do if something doesn't work as as so I'm gonna expected. I'm gonna push back for just a moment here because I, I think that networkers often get the uh, the old gray beard, afraid of change, whatever um, uh, mantra. And and there's a ton of truth in that. So there's there's a reason why stereotypes exist. So. Hey, like I agree with that to a degree, but I also think that there's this challenge. I think that, uh, and I've said this before in other shows and I really like starting to formulate my idea around this, but the idea is that networkers are afraid of change, not because they're afraid of change, um, any more so than any other group. I think networkers are afraid of change because when they mess up, it messes up everything. Right. And so like, I think that it's kind of been in our charge for years and years and years to resist change that could be potentially risky. And I think that not understanding it, not knowing how it works, not being able to piecemeal it. Like, I, I think that, I think the idea of widespread change, I don't think anyone's going to fight against something that makes their life easier or gives them more information. Like we all are struggling with this idea. If you work in a, an environment of any size of how do I manage this effectively? And everyone's fighting this idea of I'm having to do more with less. And so like, if I can make this something that's repeatable and something that gives me, you know, you know, greater scope for what me as an individual can do, I don't think there's a lot of people who will fight against Against that, I think the problem is, is that without understanding what the impact is, I think there's it's just a very slow adoption process. Because if if we jump into something that's the new shiny, and then it doesn't work, we could have built ourselves into an absolutely massive hole and something that we can't change easily. So I, that's just my my two cents on on change no, no, when I, it comes to networking. I agree. Actually, I I personally sometimes you know. When you think of the the server world, usually there's actually multiple projects, and each one will you know be associated with one application, and they will have their own infrastructure as code or way to deploy these specific applications. But I personally like to think the the network as one application. I mean, it's a it's a bit of a stretch, but when you think about it, you know, it's it's a, a lot of different devices that comes together and that provide a function, which is connecting you know the device and providing like. Um, uh, costs and, and whatnot. And and uh, and one of our challenges, the, um, we have one configuration file where usually you put everything and so many functions. So when we start touching these files, we have to test everything. And and uh, and, and yeah, we don't have a lot of uh, a safeguards. Like if, if the network is down, then everything else gets impacted. So I, I definitely see that as a kind of a very critical application and and you know it's hard to compare to just doing infrastructure as code to one application on a on a given uh, you know DevOps job because uh, if it, you take it down, you don't take everything down usually. Right, and this is one more pitch for modularity. So when we talk about design, um, I agree with you. I so I, I work uh, as a, in a reseller as a as an engineer and as an architect, right? So I walk in, and almost every network I run into is exactly the way you explained it: one application. It is closely interconnected to regardless of services and what they're offering. And I, I think it's in the shops where there's this really nice modular design. So we talk about large data center deployments where they've done this. You have a pod of servers, right? Or a pod of networking equipment. And I can run this test on this one pod because the interaction is strictly within that pod. And then there's a very clear delineation between it and what's next. And in shops that have done this that are very large shops where we have you know these these little regions that I can do work in. And each one of those regions can kind of be its own iteration of whatever it is. This gives you the testing ground without affecting everything. I can do this, I, I can do this here 
see how it works and then explain it to the rest of my network if it makes sense. I think the problem is that we haven't done that incredibly well across networking generally. And so when we talk about a customer's WAN or we talk about a customer's, you know, LAN and the way they do things locally, like it's not modular. It's all kind of just all combined together. And so it's very difficult to implement these changes because you're right. It's one application, you know, as we make changes, it affects everything. Yeah. Another, or say two things I'll add to that is, um, uh, in order to get started, you know, down this realm, like the first thing you have to understand is it's going to be harder at first. Like it, it's just going to be, and it's a very, you know, again, I'll go back to the cultural pitch and say, it's hard to sit there and say, Hey, to add this VLAN, all you have to do is go into Git, edit a file, push that in, ask your buddy to change it, peer review it, then get to test and deploy it. Right. That's, that's a hard pitch where someone says, I just go on and I, you know, VLAN 10 printers. Right. And, and I'm done. So it, it's, it's, it's understanding that the other thing too is, um, you're taking experts here. Um, I, let me uh, let me kick over Damien. I think he wants to say something. No, no, it's just I actually, you know, in, in my previous life, I I kickstarted. Uh, you know, I, I went to um, I used to work for Roblox, and you know, I I started all the automation deployment. And so when we started, you know, we decided to go like very infrastructure as code. Everything was in Git, and you know, the rules was like every change will get have to go through Git. And at first I was worried. I was like, you know, how is it going to work with the, the traditional network engineers? You know, when we started hiring, uh, you know, I wanted actually to put as a requirement that people need to have, you know, it was mandatory for them to actually have some knowledge around Git. And we couldn't find anybody. And uh, for various reasons, we actually started hiring people that had zero knowledge on, on Git and all of that. And I was proven wrong. I was actually, we managed to get people that have very, if no knowledge about automations or anything, on board with an infrastructure as code approach and all the changes going through Git in a couple of days. I was I was absolutely blown away. Like only show people, you know, the three steps they have to do to actually make a change through uh, Git and and create a PRs and get it approved and get it deployed using you know tools like Ansible. That was that was actually much much easier than I expected. So really, I will say you know, the message for me is like people overestimate and and you know really are scared about introducing this change where network engineers are doing just fine once you give them a very clear process yeah I, I think the difference is 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 not in the actual process it's in the buy-in right because so you know Roblox had YouTube to buy in to sit there and say we're gonna go you know as, as I'm you know what I'm not sure what the title was but as lead architect let's call it you you, you we're saying this is the route we're going forward. So the buy-in was there. It's not the the, the technology. I, I I certainly think the network engineers are capable. And as we go, you know, from customer to customer, once someone sees it and they see the benefits, but it's after the fact, right? So you have to get in. You don't see it until at least a few months into it, right? Like so, it, it's it's a, a large investment for any company to kind of even get started with it, rather than you know uh, uh, anything else. But you said the key um, word right there, and that is investment. Investment. And so like and so like anything worth doing, <laughs> like anything worth doing is going to require some pain and work up front to make it happen. There's there's it doesn't matter what it is. There's there's no easy button for any of this. Um, I the the market loves to sell like there's an easy button there's no easy button for networking networking is not a solved problem if you're going to change your methodology it's going to require some investment i don't care if you're going from manual to infrastructure as a code or going into sdn or going into whatever method you want to do you know for for 
managing your network or the way you do things, your operations. It is an investment, but you have to say, what is the end point? Like, does the end point make it better? And if you're managing more than like three or four devices, the answer is almost universally yes, right? Like when you look at this, like there's not a whole lot of networkers who will sit there and look at it and say like, man, if I could do this process and I could roll out a change to a hundred devices like this, because all I have to do is just do the push to, to, the, to, you know, to this broad group of devices. And because I have consistency and repeatability and all these things that come with automation, and this isn't necessarily infrastructure as code, but the idea is, you know, if, if we've built that modularity and that, that orchestration component that comes with infrastructure as code, like there's a huge value to them because all of a sudden that VLAN change, which yes, you're right on one device is, is log in, you know, create the VLAN log out. When you do that on hundred devices, it's going to take 40 times the amount of time it's going to take than to, yeah, than to do it through an infrastructure code approach. And I'll say t two things, you know, if it's the same VLAN across 40 devices, you could just open super putty and connect to a bunch, right? No big deal. Yeah, that never, the reality that never is, fails. Yeah, well, no, well, fair <laughs> enough. But, but and again, I, I had, you know, I, I always like, I, I will say I'm a hack from way back. I always kind of scripted, you know, along my way. And if I had something to do like that, I, would, I wouldn't ever do a man. I didn't ever, but for the most part, I, that wasn't part of my lexicon. Um, you know, you're preaching the choir though also, right? Like this, you're talking to two guys that work. That know, actually believe in this stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, you know, from that perspective, absolutely. Of course. It, it's just, it's, uh, making, you know, our customers or other, you know, uh, just network shops across, uh, you know, around the world understand that. And it's easy for me to sit there and say the benefit is there. It, it's harder to, to put that investment, put, you know, dollars to donuts there. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention, just, you know, again, again about culture is um, going in front of a, a CCIE 15, 20 plus years and sitting there and saying everything, you know, everything that, you know, every vendor that's been here before who has kind of either sold you something that didn't come to fruition or so forth and sitting there and saying, you're not the expert anymore, right? They have been in, in the modality of I am the expert and they are, they're, they're CCs, but they're managing giant networks very successfully and saying, you have to redefine everything the way you do it. Again, it goes back to that. It's a large cultural shift. Uh, and it's hard. It's very hard to sit there and say upfront, change things in something that they're not an expert in, right? There's an, entol, there's an entire second career for this, this, this side of the house, the development side of the house. I don't know. I'm a rather seasoned CCIE. And I think something like that would be awesome. Like, I mean, like, I, I don't know that, I don't know that that model fits everybody, but yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not talking absolutes, yeah. but, but by, I, you know, again, I, all I have is, is my experience. Yeah, and, and I, I see a lot, You're yeah. seeing a lot more customers than I am talking yeah. about this particular topic. <laughs> so I imagine that, that your insight's probably a bit more, uh, a bit more enlightening than my own. Uh, I, I, listen, we, people resist change regardless of who they are. And especially when you add momentum, the idea is that, yeah, you're the expert. I think that people are afraid that something like this is going to remove their expertise. I don't think it changes it at all. We had the same conversation around SDN. Everyone was claiming the CCIE would be irrelevant. I don't think automation makes the CCIE irrelevant. We still need to know how networking works. It doesn't matter how we manage the devices. It, this is just another way to become more efficient. But guess what? The underlying protocols still operate the same way. Whether yeah, we do it, infrastructure's code doesn't that. change it. Whether we do it with SDN doesn't change it. You still need experts. I'm not at all concerned about the longevity of my career. I'm in the middle of it. As in CCIE, I'll be just fine. Like, I, like you know what I'm saying. But you you have to be able to adopt and 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 adjust. And I think that I think that I don't think we're talking about experts. I think we're people who are stuck in their ways. It doesn't really matter what your title is or what fun letters you have after your name. Like it just is like I've always done it this way, and this is my value to my company. Like if you if you've gotten there, you've you've stopped learning, you've stopped progressing, you're stopped doing whatever. Your value is actually not that great.
you're kind of a hindrance to your company. Like, don't be that guy. Sorry. I agree. <laughs> I'll step Shoot, off was... of my soapbox now. <laughs> I think we went a little bit. once to... every episode. Yeah, yeah. Let's do <laughs> a little bit off topic. I was thinking, you know, um, I think there's important things we haven't discussed yet on the uh, infra- infrastructure as code topic. Uh, you know, we started talking about the differences between the, 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 the DevOps and the, the net DevOps. And, and I think one other big difference for us is uh, testing. Because uh, a big part of this infrastructure as code is how can we do, so there is what people call the CI, which is continuous integration. Or, so maybe let, let me try to bring some definition here. Continuous integration, the goal is to have an automated process that will help validate the sanity of the change before it gets merged into you know the master branch. So the idea is that really executing some tests uh, in, a, in a safe environment for every branch, every commit, so that uh, we have some you know some information before we actually merge that. And then there's what people call the continuous deployment, which will be the idea that the system will automatically uh, deploy uh, once it gets merged into the master branch. To be honest, I've seen a lot of people. I think it's 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 easy and safe to work in 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 a continuous integration and CI. I think you know there's way less people than we think that really are in a, in a continuous deployment, at least on network, because usually you can have like uh, tools deploying, but they will be done in a supervised way, you know, at a specific times when when somebody actually triggered this this deployment. But but this continuous integration part. Uh, brings up a lot of very interesting topic for me like how do you actually test that everything is working and um so the first approach that we've seen and i was a big big proponent of that over the year was like hey we're gonna build a a virtual topology i'm gonna use the virtual device and i'm gonna build my network and i will just simulate my network in the cloud it's never the same though is it (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I tend to realize that, yeah, it, uh, it's actually super challenging. Uh, you know, the challenges are first, like, our network devices are doing a lot of things in hardware, and we don't have actually a, a proper representation in, in our virtual devices. There's usually a lot of uh, a discrepancy between what the virtual device can do and not. There's a lot of difference about, um, you know, the number of interface, the name of the interfaces and all of that. So I, 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 I think cannot... that's not an understated point. The name of the interface is a big problem. <laughs> like oh yeah like, no I, because I, I mean like you build your scripts and all your stuff to validate against that like you know I have you know port zero is always this and then you go to your virtual device and all of a sudden port zero is really named you know I don't know whatever it no, is no yeah, yeah I just just to be a bit of context I used to work at Juniper I was part of the team that really pushed uh, to get the virtual QFX uh, mm-hmm. out there. So uh, you know, I was highly involved with the team, and uh, and uh, you know, but unfortunately, you know, we were limited in number of interfaces, we were limited on the features, and that was just you know some limitation of how the product was was emulated, and um, so now. What I'm seeing actually, there's a, a lot of people that are trying to build you know small scale topology, and you know they will run some tests and end to end, and I think it's it's interesting, but personally as I believe it's good, but we should be also aware that it doesn't provide, you know, a coverage for everything. And you know, as we were discussing earlier, uh, if we separate our configurations between templates and and device device and variables, then usually what's going to happen is in your lab you will have a set of variables and a topology and IP addresses that never change. 
that will not be a complete reflections of what you have in production. So the templates will be shared. So those virtual topology will be great to actually validate the templates and the logic and the data structure and the formats. But I've seen people that completely ignore the fact that they're actually not testing, you know, the real variables they are deploying in production because, you know, because it's, it's challenging. Uh, so so that's one. Um, one thing I'll add to that is just um, if you could, if you fundamentally know that the configurations you're deploying come from, you know, structured data and templates, let's say, that's that's probably like an eighty percent solution, right? Now, by the time you get to like fully deployed network in uh, in some virtual environment, that's probably like a ninety-nine, you know, five nines, let's call it solution, right? But but there's a that is not you know five x ten x. That's like twenty or hundred x time the effort to kind of get to that point. So. There, you're, you're, you start getting the, 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 your returns diminish as the further along this testing path you go, and it gets harder to maintain the testing, and and you still never get fully the same as we we're kind of talking about the differences in hardware, the differences in performance. You know, one thing to say I have this every network object uh, uh, um, emulated and virtualized. Difference of putting you know a gig, ten gigs, hundred gigs of traffic on there, and what's going to be the difference, and how's it going to react? So it's it's a lot of effort to get to that point, and it's not to say don't get there, like don't try to don't try to end there, but all the steps in between are probably more important. I think we're starting to, like this is a bit in the weeds, only because of the fact that yeah. <laughs> only, only because of the fact that you know when we talk about like hardware capacity changes, like like that's. How often are changes really impacted by hardware capacity? And I, I think that's probably a very rare where we run into a capacity issue. It's almost always a logic issue, right? And so I think I think the the deeper problem isn't necessarily around like I can't emulate the hardware, and if I run a hundred meg versus a gig of traffic, does it behave differently? It, it's more about can I actually emulate my environment? And I and I think that even just a moderate network is sufficiently complex that it's almost impossible to emulate. And I, I mean, as someone who comes in and does this for customers all the time, when it, you know, we, we want to emulate a change before we do it, you know, we try to create the analog, we try to create the test, but man, it's, it is maybe 50 to 60% of what reality is. And that's just the best that we can do in an emulated environment um, with virtual devices, because I can't test every single little nuance of a customer's network because these configs are complicated. There's a lot to them. Just, and that's just the reality is that we can't really we can't really emulate them. I think it becomes easier and more efficient in an environment where you're doing uh, infrastructure as code, because at least then, like you said, the template is the same. So all the little nuances about the way the device is going to be configured, at least on the virtual device where it does emulate it, it will emulate it. Uh, whereas trying to emulate it manually is, is a super complicated process. You are taking a step forward. But still, I don't think that like, you know, putting it into an emulated environment and testing it is going to be like somehow the panacea. Just to share a bit of experience, like in, again, in my, my previous law, you know, we had all the templates, we had infrastructure as code, but we took the approach to put all the source of truth or most of it in the database because, you know, we, real, we re had very, you know, a lot of data and all of that. And, and I realized that, you know, it was actually sometime we had data corruptions in some part of the database, like somebody made a manual change on the device. And because we didn't have a lot of uh, checks in place, and you know, sometimes it's just hard. Somebody will, somebody will put the wrong IP address in the wrong place. We'll do something, and then that will break actually a bunch of devices. That will break the features of the network. So, and, and our issue is, you know, we couldn't really. The template was good. It's just the inputs and the variables we were giving to the templates were corrupted, and those were actually, in some time, valid from a, a data. A schema and models point of view, it's just the, the the value itself was wrong. Like, what what if you put a wrong IP address? 
validate IP address but the wrong one. So I, I personally started, you know, to look at uh, tools like uh, that really do network verifications based on configuration file. Like um, I think, you know, there's tools like uh, Badfish or uh, uh, Forward Networks now that are very interesting where they basically will ingest all the configurations and then they will produce the models and we analyze those configuration and produce a, a model of the network where you can actually run tests in software. So yeah, we're modeling I think it's, rather uh, than emulating. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the difference in this case is that you're not limited in terms of number of devices, number of interfaces. You can actually generate 100% of your configuration of your network. And even before deploying them, you can feed those configuration to those tools and start doing some additional tests in terms of, you know, are all my BGP sessions, uh, pieces of routing working properly? Are my, uh, you know, routing policy and all of that's working properly? So I think we are at the beginning of this, you know, new trend. Uh, but I'm very excited to see that, you know, there are some uh, some great tools out there. Um, it's definitely there are some challenges like how do you actually generate thousands of or hundreds of configurations uh, for every commit and run all those tests. There's a lot of processing involved, but I'm uh, I'm personally, you know, uh, yeah, very eager to see uh, what people will, will build out of those tools and, you know, the deployment that uh, we'll see in, in production over the year. Yeah, and even to that point, even if it's not a specific tool uh, and applying your own business logic, right? Like, so if I know that uh, every default gateway should be dot one. If I know that uh, anything in the AM region should be in this slash ten or in this you know ten network or that ten network, you know uh, slash sixteen within a ten network, let's call it. Um, if I could start adding those uh, business logic tests on there, it, it's tremendously valuable because, as Damien mentioned, schema validation only gets you so far, right? It's really the business logic that you you start to gain. Uh, you, you can force things to sit there and say, is this correct? And what defines correct? Uh, and, and that's the kind of the test that really start helping you out. Yeah, I'm like, for, I'm looking at our outline. It's like, we just, we just scratching the surface on this, man. It's so, <laughs> there's so many things to do or to talk about uh, as it relates to it. But I think that, you know, I think that ultimately, yeah. am I wrong in saying in that, you know, when we talk about uh, doing something with infrastructure or code. I mean, like, so I, I guess I want to come back to where we started. Like, what are the core benefits? Like, the core benefits are repeatability. The core benefits are source of truth. The core benefit is this trustability. Yeah, trustability and you know collaboration. I'll say trustability collaboration. Yeah, yeah, even just in you know trying to make myself sound a little bit more intelligent. You know, just doing some research. And they, and they talked about. Um, you know, safer changes and so forth. Like, and that's not like in my mind, it's not. Like the automation that's kind of associated with it is not technically infrastructure code, but you can't talk about it without it. Like you can't talk about infrastructure code if you're not def talking about everything that it hits around it, right? Everything it touches. And, and so to me, it, it is it is all these things. So I mean, and also just uh, just again wrapping my head around the like infrastructure <laughs> code is is like almost like a subset of automation. You can do automation without infrastructure as code. Infrastructure or code is a specific way of going about automation with the idea of digging in and doing this, you know, uh, version management, deploying like it's like it's code. Like, I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, getting into more detail and providing that you know, those those uh, those benefits that we just talked about, just using methodologies that we've we've seen used before um, from a programming perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Most of my career, you know, unfortunately, what was built that way for lack of, uh, of better knowledge, to be honest, and just not having anyone to have that peer review and just what would you do 
if, if you didn't know these principles and these ideas. And it's kind of, you know, it, it's going out there and seeing what is and saying, okay, well, that's correct. But let me deploy quicker. Let me build my configurations across 40 devices or 50 devices quicker. Um, but it's not kind of uh, managing it as code. And, and I mean, I think I'm looking at this and I'm just thinking like, man, there's so much that I personally have to learn. You know what I'm saying? Like as it relates to using these tools into a regular workflow, <clears throat> I know Git, very very surface level right but i mean as it relates to as it relates to networking how does how does you know how do you use git in a networking fashion in a way that is efficient and how do you use those tools so we talked about the relational database versus that information how do you put that together i think that that's like that's one of those things like as you get into the weeds that's going to be thing that matters um you talk about what your source of truth is for your data whether that data is flat file in git or it is in a database, how are you keeping this device variable? So, I mean, like we've identified all these things, but man, I think there's whole conversations in it around how to actually do that, which is why, you know, network to code exists, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I mean, it's not, these aren't simple questions. These aren't, these aren't easy questions to answer necessarily. And they are definitely way out of my um, wheelhouse when it comes as, you know, being an experienced networker. Like these are not things that I'm doing all the time. So as so I think about this in my own world, like I think these are the questions that I look at and say, man, like there's a there's a whole world here of of learning that has to happen before you could do it really efficiently. And I think my biggest concern, again, being the, the least experienced on this call and doing that, would be doing it wrong. How how tied am I to it if I do it wrong from the beginning? You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like some of these decisions are important to get right from the beginning. It's certainly better, um, you know. But but I also say that the, the solution you build now is is a is a solution for now. You mean, meaning it, your your current skill set matters and your current you know ability. And so you know it, it, the whole idea of agile versus waterfall, right? You, you can't build you know towards the, uh, only towards the end because there's going to be no benefit. And so I, I will never dissuade someone from building a using building a, running a script to just do one thing. Right. Yes, I, I believe in these principles, and I think this is the, the only way to get to the end game. But it doesn't mean that there's not a tremendous amount of value before then. Yeah, you know, at, at least in my opinion. Right. I think you... I, I like had something. Sorry, the, one one as, actually aspect I'm seeing across a lot of the tools in infrastructure as code is that usually they let you, uh, you know, see the change that you're about to deploy. And that's personally a feature that I really like. You know, all those tools they have a way where you can say dry run or check or just Tell me what will happen, and and in this case, you can actually you know work on your project and do a lot of things, and you can just you know iterate on on your templates on whatever you're building until the tool is is giving you the proper output and is telling you what you're gonna do now on those ten devices that will bring exactly those changes. And you know for a long time I think the network the tools we had for the network to push the configurations were a little uh, behind on that. Uh, but I, I'm actually I'm seeing now that uh, you know a lot of the the tools that catch up. I I recently I was really uh, pleased to see that for example Ansible uh, they build these features called the diff uh, in most of the the native networking modules, and you can actually now get a, a proper feedback from the modules even before deploying them. Uh, so that really brings a lot of uh, you know safeguard and safety, and I think a safe environment around uh, all of those uh, all of those systems. So, so as someone with experience between the two of you, I, I'd be curious, to, and I'm going to completely call you out on the spot because we didn't talk about this at all. What's a good first step? So say someone has not done any of this before. What do you think is the most important thing to learn or what was the source that you would use to kind of get started? I, I would say I would often talk about my first thing ever to do is to uh, to disaggregate the configuration into templates and data 
and just generate the configurations, even if you don't deploy it. I, I, I always go back to that. Just to say, okay, everyone has their standard architecture, Word document, or however they, they store it, and everyone goes to the first site to deploy it and says, okay, this isn't correct, this isn't correct. They change it, never update the master. So if you could just generate configurations consistently, that's that's a huge first step. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, and yeah, just start to use Git. Even if you put in Git, the final configurations, the way you will actually deploy them, even if technically you should have a template, even if you don't have a template, just try to keep track in Git of the configurations uh, and the changes. And, you know, force to use Git inside the team to discuss those changes and, you know, have somebody approve those changes, I think is a, is a huge, huge step. All right, guys, I think it's a good place to wrap up. Um, I honestly think that there's probably a, a huge opportunity to have some more conversations here. So I might be reaching out to both of you to uh, to dig in a bit deeper on some of these topics, because I think there's there's just a whole world uh, to know. And I think that, you know, I think that we're seeing, you know, the industry is definitely heading this direction. Um, there, there's not really any question about whether or not uh, we're moving this direction. It's just at, at what level and at what speed. And so I think that, you know, if you aren't as a networker, if you're listening to this and you and you haven't considered it, you should start thinking about it, um, not necessarily from a from a perspective of, you know, doing it right now. But I mean, these are skills you're going to need moving forward. Um, I, I don't think there's really much question about that at all. So the then the, then it's just a matter of like, how do we, you know, <laughs> like you said, take those first steps and continue to build them and, and, and start working this direction, because I think that, again, I mean, there's got to be a there's got to be a line, right? There's got to be a line of where this becomes valuable, but I don't think the line is, we're not talking about big, massive environments only. Like there's going to be, you're going to see value from this even just beyond just a couple of devices. Even if you, even if you're just talking about version controlling your configs, if you only have one device, version controlling your config is a good idea. Yeah. But I, I guess if you're the only person working on it, maybe there's not as much value. But like you said, teamwork, any, beyond two, beyond one team member, beyond more than one device, like you can start seeing value out of doing some of these these concepts right away. So guys, thanks for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. I want to give you an opportunity to share where people might find you. Uh, are you online anywhere? Do you blog? Those types of things can. Uh, I'm going to point, I'm pointing at Ken first. Uh, we made Damien go first on the question uh, to start the show. So Ken's getting uh, voluntold on this one. So, so Ken, uh, where can people find you online? Great. Yeah. So it's, uh, it depends, it depends networks. Uh, cause as, as with networking, it always depends. I love that. So my Twitter, yeah. The trademark too. You need the, you the need the TM yeah. symbol, symbol in there for it depends. Yeah. For, for those that, that aren't in Slack communities with me, anytime someone puts it, it depends, I'll, I'll try to find it and put a little TM emoji on it. Uh, <laughs> And people have caught on over over the years. He does that to um, my messages uh, probably at least once a week because that's one of my favorite. You know, <laughs> it's just you should automate that, man. You should you should be able to talk, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's uh technically it depends net on Twitter, uh, the network to code blog. I've been, been trying to be more active on blogging there as well. Awesome, uh, Damien. Where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to be active on Twitter at uh, Dam Garros. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I started to blog recently on uh, Network to Code, and uh, in the short term, actually, if uh, people are going to uh, Ansible Fest in Atlanta, uh, I'll be there. And uh, you know, uh, always happy to uh, discuss about networking, automations, or infrastructure as code. Awesome. Also, um, another great resource that's out there. Uh, super busy, but lots of great information is Network Code Network to Code Slack. So if you haven't, uh, if you're not on there, but you're thinking about doing, you know, automation or orchestration or infrastructure as code or any of this, uh, you know, any of this new wave of the way we're managing devices, that's a great place to go. Lots of people there are chatting about these things, lots of great resources. And I know the guys from, from Network to Code are on there often answering questions and kind of just helping out the community in general, which is 
absolutely fantastic resource. So if you if you haven't, and that's an open one, right? They can just they can just go sign up absolutely. for themselves. So it's not a, it's not yeah. something you have to request or whatever. You just there's a you go to the network to code website. I'm assuming there's a there's a link. Oh, there's a it's slack.networktocode.com, and that's that's correct. If you go to that URL, it will bring you to a Heroku app where you could self sign. Perfect. So uh, it's definitely a, a great resource, and, and people should go check that out. Uh, if you like this episode, we talk about networking all the time. So <laughs> you can find a lot more episodes like it, thenetworkcollective.com. We're at NetCollectivePC on Twitter. Uh, we're Network Collective Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook. We would absolutely love to chat with you. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to listen today, and we will see you next time.